the sin of homosexuality. And so uh, a question we're asking, I guess I've already answered, is, is, is the Bible indifferent to homosexuality? Because that's a challenge for the church to answer today. Now, there are plenty who would, who would even say that they're Christians and that they um, are homosexual or that they have same-sex desires and that that's okay, that the Bible doesn't speak enough about it or clearly about it. So we're going to take what the Bible does say about some of these things and we're going to address it this evening. Now, as we do, I want to point out something that uh, I'm sure in this room um, we have representation of family members who struggle with homosexuality. Um, you yourself may have a struggle with homosexuality. Maybe you've confessed that, maybe you haven't. Maybe it's a secret that you've had uh, and you've kept to yourself. Um, but yet more and more this is being coached and encouraged and championed in our culture to be something that is normal, not only normal, but to be celebrated. And if it's not celebrated, then what will be the result of the ones who refuse to celebrate this as being natural and good uh, for all of mankind to accept? And that's kind of some of the things we're going to look at tonight. So by the time we're finished tonight, I would hope that you could write down some of these passages of Scripture, not so that you could just have your bullets ready um, to take aim in, in a conversation to prove someone wrong, but that you yourself would be convinced that the Bible does speak to these things and that you yourself would be prepared. And in, in addressing this as well, when we look at homosexuality, um, I am intentional to once again call it what the Bible calls it. Although when expressing that you have a desire for someone of the same sex, I get where the phrase comes, um, same-sex attraction. But what I fear with using that as the church, when we say same-sex attraction or SSA for short, it's becoming all too normal in our conversations and yet it doesn't hold the same weightiness of when we define it as homosexuality. And so let's have that in mind tonight as we look to the scriptures. Now, so what we're saying is that as we've opened ourselves to pornography, not just magazines, but to media, to entertainment, um, it numbs the senses and the convictions, and yet we are more open and ready to accept other types of lifestyles. Now listen, we live on a broken planet. Sin abounds. And yet there are many types of people that we will encounter. Tonight is not to put a person who struggles with homosexuality in their own corner. I mean, there are Christians who truly desire to follow Jesus and yet have this struggle. And if that is your struggle, I want you to hear this, that we love you and we're here to walk alongside you. We will meet with you, we will go to the scriptures, we will pray together, and you can be healed in Christ Jesus. And so, as we begin, we begin in the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. God created man, and he created man in his own image, and yet from man came woman. And with that, we see that men and women are different. Amen, ladies? And so, yes, us men, we are different than you, but we complement one another. And so that's something that we need to take notice when it comes to men and women 
engaging in sexual intercourse. It is an action of two becoming one flesh. And that's why it's not to be done flippantly. That's why every sexual act that takes place outside of marriage is sinful and wrong in the eyes of God. Every act, whether it's a man and a man, woman and a woman, man and a woman, every sexual act outside of a God-ordained marriage of man and woman is indeed a sin. When man and woman come together in one flesh, it is to honor God. And yet, a homosexual union cannot do that because it's two of the same. Whereas man and woman are designed differently to complement one another, man and man, and woman and woman are made the same. Jesus addresses this when it comes to the difference of male and female from the very beginning. Matthew 19, 4 through 6, Jesus is being asked about divorce. And as he's addressing this, what people thought would be difficult for him, uh, he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so when we look at the created order of man and woman, man came first, then came woman. Man has his roles, woman has her roles, and yet they come together as helpmates. But not only that, man leaves his family, woman leaves her family, and the two become one. So think about this. Kevin DeYoung makes mention of this in one of his books I was recently reading, he says, think about the complementary nature of creation itself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And not only that, but within this cosmic pairing, we find other couples, the sun and the moon, morning and evening, day and night, the sea and the dry land, plants and animals. And finally, at the apex of the creation, the man and his wife. So if you think about this, in every pairing, each part belongs with the other, but neither is interchangeable. So we will look at that interchangeableness next week when we look at transgender and gender dysphoria. But before then, as we look at man and woman coming together, not only in holy matrimony, but together as one flesh, we see that this is not possible in the eyes of God and ordained by God. And it's not possible uh, in God, how God has designed it for man and woman to be together. So homosexuality does not fit within the creative order of Genesis 1 and 2. In the very beginning, it doesn't fit. Yet, it doesn't take us long as we journey through the Bible to see the impact of sin on creation. And from Genesis 3 on, we see many dark moments. One of those dark scenes is in Genesis 19 in Sodom and Gomorrah. When Lot is there and he is being encouraged by two angels who, by the way, um, were men. Um, and as these angels came to him at his home, he brought them inside his home 
for he did not feel comfortable leaving them outside at their request. He said, hey, we'll stay in the city courtyard. We're fine. He says, no, please come inside with me. Why? Because it was not safe for him to stay outside. And it doesn't take long in our reading to see why it wasn't safe, because shortly after that, men, older men and younger men, all the men of the town come and start beating on the door and requesting that these two men, these angels that they didn't know were angels, but two men would come outside so that they may know them. And it wasn't know them like, hey, how are you? I'm Bob, you're Steve, nice to meet you. No, it was sexual intercourse. And so we see that there was a um, great move of depravity in Sodom and Gomorrah in more than just one way, but yet this is one of the heightened sins that's made mention of in Genesis 19. And shortly after that, we see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if we keep going, we see the Mosaic law address homosexuality. And so from Leviticus 18 to 20, this would be good to go back and read when we're finished. But people would point to the law and say, well, we no longer need the law. It's funny how we want to pick and choose things from the law that we want to say we need and we no longer need. I don't think there's a single person in this room who would say that it's not important that we would love our neighbors as we love ourselves. When was that first stated? That was stated within the law. Jesus is the one who again affirmed this truth. And so when you look in Leviticus 18 through 20, we see this written, starting in verse 18, or chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. And catch this in verse 3. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you live. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. So what God is pointing out to his people is, I don't want you to live like those from which you came, and I don't want you to live like those of whom you are to conquer. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now, as he begins to um, unveil this truth to his people, we'll see him directly address different offenses. As we look at Leviticus 20, 20 through 26, we see that the offenses move from sex with your neighbor's wife to sex with a family member to sex with a family member of a younger generation, to sex with another man, to sex with more than one partner, to sex with an animal, to a woman taking the role of a man and approaching an animal to have sex with it. And you go, whoa, what planet was this? The same one we live on. And so what we're able to see is that the very things that are being heightened and celebrated in our culture were issues back thousands of years ago. And yet God had to teach his people to not do these things. Why did he have to teach them not to do these things? Because these things are natural to sinful man. 
And so it's interesting when we have arguments where people say, well, yeah, but that was then, that was a different context, that was a different understanding when it comes to looking down upon homosexual, homosexuality, that was always older men with younger men, but it's interesting that's not mentioned here. It's with one man and another man. But yet, we don't tend to often point out that that's the case for adultery or incest or polygamy. Those things we would say, yes, those are sins. Those are mentioned all throughout the Bible, yet in the very same places as homosexuality. So do not be fooled if someone tries to persuade you to see that these things are old-fashioned and yet that it doesn't go into the new covenant that we have with Christ, that it's just things of old. No, it still upholds. And we see this when we look to Romans chapter 1. I'm not sure how much you read in Romans, but I hope you read a good deal in Romans. There's so much to learn there. Do not be afraid to go to the book of Romans. Go, dig, study. And yet in Romans 1, once again we see homosexual practice and the behavior is a sin. So you go, hold on a second. When we look to Romans 1, what's being highlighted here? Well, what's being highlighted is what we have seen back in Leviticus of those who were not God's people, who acted in their own natural ways. And this is being pointed out in Romans 1, 26 through 32. And what we want to highlight here is that any homosexual practice is a sin. The act itself, it is contrary to God's good design. So you may encounter someone who says, well, I feel like you're attacking me because you're going against who I am. Notice this, but it's changed now. People don't want to define themselves as I am a man or I am a woman. This is my name. This is where I'm from. But now it is I am a homosexual. This is my identity and my sexuality. Whereas I don't tend to go around and tell everyone and broadcast, hey, I'm Brian Anderson. I just want you to know I'm a heterosexual. Although that is a pretty fun joke to play on middle schoolers when you walk up to them and say, hey man, are you heterosexual? And they kind of look at you like, what you talking about? Right? But yet when we get here in Romans chapter 1, 26 through 32, we're reminded that these acts are sinful and unholy before God. Romans 1, 26 through 32. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For there are women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So understand that when homosexuality is listed here with one man to another, it's also listed with all of these other sins. And so it's not right for us to remove it because it's a sensitive topic today. We must address it. And we must address it with love, but with boldness and truth. We have plenty of truth here before us. But catch this at the end, they do not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Why is that? Because when you partake in sin, there is no joy that comes with sin. No lasting fruit that comes with sin. And when you live sinfully before a holy God, it's you before a holy God. There's something missing. So in order to fill that void, you need the approval of other people. So what happens is people begin to link arms together and support one another. They begin to march together. They begin to raise their voices and become more adamant that it is okay because if more people come around them and support their cause or their sin, they feel as though they're not alone. And yet that's where many people are today, but sadly, that does not bring the joy that they're seeking. I want to mention this before I forget. Um, I was speaking with a school teacher not long ago, and they were telling me that they have a child in their class, a little boy who's precious, just darling. And they're getting ready to uh, do something for Father's Day. And since Father's Day is in the summer, they want to put together some arts and crafts and prepare them to give to the father's so they'll be ready since you're not going to have Father's Day during school season, which is sweet. Thank you, teachers, for doing that. We appreciate it. But yet, as they were preparing, this little boy was sad, and the teacher went to him and said, hey, what's wrong? He says, well, I wish I had a dad. Because the truth is, is that he doesn't have a dad. He has two moms at home. And yet, although the two moms may approve of their homosexual behavior and now starting a family and thinking that this is normal, you have a seven-year-old at school who's saying, something's not right here. I want a dad. Neither one of them can be that. And so there are many ways in which God reveals himself and his truth and even to a seven-year-old boy who says, this is just not normal and I'm missing something. But yet... We have a culture, we have a world where people are linking arms and saying, hey, everyone should accept these things. But understand as well that this is just not out in the world. This is within the local church. And it's something that we must be ready and willing to sit down and discuss and not look at someone as if they're strange or how could you ever, 
Because I will say, I, I believe this personally, I think that this is a fault of the local church over the last few decades. We, ha- we haven't known how to deal with someone who has this type of sin struggle. And so we've kept people at arm's length, thinking this is just strange. Because to many people, it is strange. Okay? Just know, I'm, I'm standing before you right now, and I'm telling you, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around it, okay? Because I love my beautiful wife, okay? That's not a struggle for me to love my beautiful wife. But it's hard for me to think of being romantic with another man, okay? I don't just find myself going throughout the day going, wow, that could be, that could be good. Others do, Others do have these real struggles. Others are tempted with fantasies of the same sex. And you'll hear brothers and sisters of the faith who will say, I wish this wasn't the case, but it is. And I don't want it to be. I want to be healed of this. And that's where we walk alongside them and we read scripture together and we pray and we have accountability And we hope to see healing and know that there can be. And yet we see beautiful stories of this redemption in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. Paul's reminding the church at Corinth, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What does someone who is struggling with homosexual desires need to hear? As a follower of Christ, you were washed. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to be reminded of these things. Sexual sin is not to be treated with indifference. We're not just to look the other way and act like it's not our problem. We must address it. Jesus condemned the sin of porneia, which means in sexual immorality. It's a broad word encompassing every kind of sexual sin. Mark 7, 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So when we're talking about sexual immorality, it's not just something that we're indifferent towards. These are evil things that come from within and defile us. And as they defile us, they corrupt us. And as they corrupt us, we corrupt one another. And as we corrupt one another, we corrupt a whole culture. We corrupt a whole country. We corrupt a whole world. Because there are seasons in which you see within countries to where there are sweeping revivals, where the word of God goes forth and there is repentance and changed lives which can change a culture. That's where we as Christians should not give up on this. Like if you're in this corner where you're saying, Brian, it's too late. 
Every state has approved that a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman. What are we going to do from here? There's nothing more we can do. We're called to go forth and bear witness. And we know that the only true healing from this type of sin is not acceptance or indifference, but repentance. People must repent and look to Christ. So what might be some of the challenges that we face? Well, we could get into the battle of comparing sins. Well, who are you to point out my sin when you also sin? Who are you to point out homosexuality when there are just as many people within the local church who are getting divorces as they are outside of the church? And so we must be prepared for this. We must know that this will come our way. It is easy to deflect when somebody is pointing out your sin. It's a natural reflex. Point to something else. That's what Adam did. And so the biblical prohibition against divorce explicitly allows for exceptions. The prohibition against homosexuality does not. So when we're talking about divorce, yes, divorce is ugly. I don't think there's anyone who goes into marriage thinking, well, I can't wait to divorce this person. They're hopeful. They want to be together. And yet there are some very difficult things that happen within marriages. And as we look within Scripture, Matthew 5, 32, Matthew 19, 9, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 16, when it comes to adultery, And when it comes to abandoning your spouse, there are cases to issue a divorce. Although, it is important to mention that I think we should always strive for reconciliation. There could be situations within divorce where somebody's just tired of being married and then finally somebody offends them in one of these two areas and they can see that as their way of escape. It's happened before. And it's still painful. So when we're looking at divorce and somebody says, well, hey, you know, you want to point out homosexuality, but what about all the divorce that's taking place? We could respond by saying yes, and it's tragic and it hurts and it's painful. But yet there are actually some times when it is allowed, but there is no case for allowing homosexuality ever. So let's address this. It's right here before us. See, don't allow just blanket statements and then people just to get off in the conversation. So how are we to respond? How should we respond today to what's going on? Because it's continuing to increase the the dialogue, the conversations, And being labeled hate speech if you don't accept a man and a man or a woman and a woman wanting to be together. We're seeing it. It's more prevalent in schools. When I was coming along, we maybe had one or two in the high school that would be openly gay, who would profess it and didn't care. But now you walk into Lowndes High School and you will see that there are far more than one or two 
who are going about a lifestyle as if it's normal, more people are accepting it. So our young generation is coming up and their eyes are watching what's going on around them and they're thinking, well, this is normal. Whereas when we grew up, we were teased and picked on and you didn't say anything even if it were true. Both are a problem because neither one of them address what the scripture says. So what do we do? We show compassion. We're willing to sit down with people, but if people come against us or the church, we stand our ground. We do not back up. We do not apologize, and we do not cave into the pressure of the culture. Because then we will be rebelling against God. I mentioned earlier how it's important that people have company around them in order to approve their behavior. This isn't just with homosexuality, by the way. This could be with drunkenness. This could be with gluttony. This could be with many other things that we could make mention tonight. But yet we seek others to come along with us in our sin. We don't like to be lonely in our sin. And this is what Carl Truman had to say when it comes to recognition. And this could be recognition of the homosexual. This could be recognition of the transgender He says, the real issue is one of recognition, of recognizing the legitimacy of who the person thinks he actually is. That requires more than mere tolerance. Hear that? That requires more than mere tolerance. It's not okay just to tolerate it. It requires equality before the law and recognition by the law and in society. And that means that those who refuse to grant such recognition will be the ones who find themselves on the wrong side of both the law and emerging social attitudes. The person who objects to homosexual practice is, in contemporary society, actually objecting to homosexual identity. And the refusal by any individual to recognize an identity that society at large recognizes as legitimate is a moral offense, not simply a matter of indifference. So to sum this up, it's not enough that we tolerate and say, that's okay, you you go do you, but I don't like it. That's not going to be enough. The next step is you must approve what I'm doing. Why is that? Because sinners need affirmation. They need affirmation. They need crowds. Because they don't dare want to go before a holy God who made them. And at the heart of every sinner is an understanding that God created the world, but as we see in Romans chapter 1, is suppressed by their sin. We too were these people before Christ redeemed us. And we go right back to this action when we embrace our sin and we don't want to look to God. Our sin becomes a hindrance upon us to looking to the one true God. So then we go and we try to find company, as we mentioned earlier. So we need affirmation. What type of affirmation are we seeing right now, per se, in our country? Well, we saw this in June 26 of 2015. when it was legalized for homosexual marriage. 
And I remember back in 2015, we're saying, hey, well, it's not happening here in Georgia and we'll be one of the last places, but it did not matter because within one year, all 50 states approved. It changed that quickly. From things that we thought that would never be the case. I mean, if you would go back to say 2005 or 2000, you say, hey, do you think in the near future, it's gonna be okay for a man and a man to get married and it be approved? We would have said, no way. The climate was ripe. And so now you may have a couple that comes into the local church and says, we're a married couple. What do you do with that? Well, the states may recognize them as a married couple, but the Bible does not. God does not. And we will not do them any good if we celebrate their faux union to make them feel better. We can still love and invite them to come in, but to say this is the truth that we stand upon. We don't back away from that. Maybe you feel the tension and maybe you feel the need to back away from that. But once you give ground to this sin, it doesn't just stand still. It moves to deeper issues as well. There's a greater depravity ahead of us. The ones that we would think, oh, that will never happen. It's happening right now, rampantly throughout our nation and world. If pornography is widely accepted, homosexuality is widely accepted, polygamy will be widely accepted. But yet so will sex trafficking be widely accepted. You see it in the news. You've seen famous people and people you don't know who are being accused of it who are being charged for it. And yet it's happening not in big cities only, but in small rural places as well, where children are being brought in for sex trafficking. It's happening to American children. It's happening to children who are brought across on the border. It's happening to children all throughout the world. And yet it takes real people to engage in this and to approve of it in private before it becomes more public. And you think, that's crazy. That's crazy that it would get like that. We have not seen the depths of the depravity of which we can go. We must stand firm in the gospel. And we must know that the Bible addresses these issues and has for as long as we have been here. So where does the Christian turn for his or her affirmation? Because if the world's going to turn to each other, where do we turn? We turn to the Bible. And we take Wednesday nights like this, and we take Sundays, and we preach through the Word. It's interesting. Um, some of you just went on a marriage retreat, and you made mention of this comedian who, who was against expository preaching, and it got me a little fired up because we practice expository preaching, we, which means that we, we preach through books of the Bible. And 
if you don't like that, then you're just not going to like being here, okay? But you're here, so that means you like it. So thank you. But why do we preach through books of the Bible? So that we can understand the whole counsel of God's word, like it's not just bits and pieces. So it wouldn't do us any good just to study about homosexuality for six weeks and then move on to something else. As we read and you read, and as we teach through books of the Bible, and as you personally read and study through books of the Bible, yes, like Leviticus, and understand why all of these things are written, instead of being lazy in our Christianity, notice I say our Christianity, I'm not just pointing at you, you're the ones who are here on a Wednesday night. But instead of being lazy in our Christianity and saying books like Leviticus just aren't exciting for me, they're not fun for me, they're not entertaining. I don't know what's happening. There are plenty of commentaries to purchase, dig in and study these books so we can have a better understanding. And as we study the word of God, we know God more. And as we come to know God more in his word, we don't need a series on is homosexuality right or wrong. We'll know because of God's word. This is where we receive our affirmation. You get it? I think you're hungry for it. I'm hungry for it. It really burns me up when I hear people who say they're Christians and they're not for expository preaching. I mean, how could that be such a bad thing that you want to spend your time just plowing through books of the Bible? Why is that so bad? You know? I'll tell you why it's so bad, because... We like to turn on things like Netflix and other things that are just series-driven. Give me, give me six weeks. Give me the, the recap, and then I can go on and then enjoy my other things instead of the Bible transforming who we are from the inside out. And you say, thanks for that, Brian. But I am passionate about that, and I just want to share that tonight. Like I hope you appreciate, too, the preaching of the Word of God. and your own personal study through the Bible. Be a Christian loves God and loves his word and does not settle for the superficial level of being a Christian. You'll truly want to dive deep and you'll, you'll want to grow year after year after year and understanding who God is. Because in this, there's freedom and there's growth and there's joy in your salvation. And so where does the Christian turn for his or her affirmation? The Bible. So, does the church have a problem with homophobia? In some areas, yes. Because Christians aren't prepared to present the scripture and do it in love and to walk along someone by someone. But it's not homophobia when you stand up and you point out that it is indeed sinful. And so why has homosexuality become such a pressing issue? Well, 50 years ago it was not, but now culture is trying to legitimize the behavior and the practice. That's why we're talking about it more and more. That's why you hear it in more and more sermons because it is becoming a bigger issue. 
And our children need to hear it. And our children need to be taught what the Bible says, not what the school system says. Not what Disney Plus says. They need to know what God's word says. They also need to know this, as we need to know this. There are plenty of people who are called to a life of celibacy. They're, they're not called to be married. God has a design set aside for them that they would be whole and complete in Christ Jesus and they don't need a spouse to complete them. You see, that's not even what we see in Scripture. It's not that our spouse completes us, Christ completes us. We're whole and complete in Christ Jesus. And when two whole and complete people come together in marriage, man and woman, yes, it can be fruitful. And yes, that's what we need for survival. But some people are called to be single. And in that, God uses their singleness and their time for his good. So another fault of the local church and a fault of mine is that we haven't highlighted this enough, that this is indeed good. And it's also good that if there is a man who has no desire to be married to a woman, understand that it is okay that he has friendships with other men, friendships, godly friendships, and that women who have no desire to be married, that's just not a burning desire with them or that opportunity has not presented itself and they keep looking to Jesus. It is okay for one godly woman to have a friendship with another godly woman. David and Jonathan enacted upon this covenant with one another. And they were best friends. There was no homosexuality, no homosexual acts between them. Just a godly friendship where they looked after one another. And it is okay to have godly friendships. But just because you aren't married or that right person hasn't come along or you don't have that desire to be married doesn't mean that you are gay or homosexual or queer. It could be that this is God's design setting you aside and if it is his will and you trust in his word, you will have joy in his calling upon your life. You will have joy. And so I think that's a great place to point people if they're saying, I, I just don't desire to, if a man's saying, I don't desire to be with a woman. And you go, okay, if that desire is not there and you want it to be, then pray for it. But if you don't have that desire right now and yet you care about godly friendships, that's good too. But it does not justify other sins. And so finally, Kevin DeYoung, I like what he says here. He says, homosexual activity is not a blessing to be celebrated, but a sin to be repented of, forsaken, and forgiven. And so may this be heavy upon our hearts. May we pray because I'm, I'm sure that every single one of us knows someone who's going through this. And you may know some who are going through it and they see nothing wrong with it, and you have others who are going through it and they know it's wrong and they don't want to be in the middle of it. Be prepared to give an answer. Take the scriptures to them. If you have questions, you want to sit down and let's talk, we will sit down with you. We want to walk alongside you.
This is important to us. Next week, we'll see how just the acceptance of uh, this sin can lead to uh, greater depravity, which we are seeing to where gender's not even an issue anymore. So if one is an issue and it's not widely accepted, let's just get rid of gender altogether, put it within the mind, and then say that I can be whoever I want to be. We see how that continues to spiral. So with that, let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, that we can take uh, these evenings uh, to discuss what's going on around us. Lord, I am no expert uh, with all things going on in America and around the world, but you have given me eyes to see, like you've given my brothers and sisters in Christ here tonight eyes to see that there is turmoil, there is great depravity, and it continues to spiral downward into darker depths, Father, may we be a people who are prepared to go to the world and when we encounter someone in this type of sin, that we wouldn't put them in a different type of category altogether, but that we would be prepared to minister to them and love them in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you for the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.